But I'll read verse 26, then we'll read verse 27 together. It says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Together, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We're going to kick off Family Month this, uh, this service with a sermon entitled this, Making Purity Popular Again. Let's pray. I ask, Lord, that you would help guide my tongue and my words. May I be, Lord, precise in my speech. May I be clear in what's said. And, Lord, may your truth impact our hearts and help us, Lord, to commit not only to living our lives pure, but raising the next generation to love purity. Lord, when we have a, when purity flows like a river through our home, there is great joy and peace and happiness. When sin defiles and stains our homes, boy, Lord, that brings strife, discontentment, depression, disgruntlement, dysfunctionality. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to appropriately view the enemies of our home and, Lord, attack them wholeheartedly and choose to have a religion that's both pure and undefiled. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, hey, we're going to move quickly this morning. Um, pure religion. The word religion is used four times in the Bible, four times in God's Word, uh, twice here in James 1, 26 and 27, um, uh, two other times in the Bible, three of the four times that you find the word religion, religion is talked about in a negative connotation. The only time religion is talked about as a good thing is found in James 1, verse 27, and the Bible lays out a very peculiar answer for what pure religion is. So what is pure religion? What is pure religion? Let's go ahead and throw that next slide up there. What is pure religion? Well, here it is. It is uh, to visit the fatherless. Visit the fatherless. Why does Wadu Baptist Church have a bus ministry? Well, because a whole lot of boys and girls that live in an underprivileged neighborhood grow up without a dad in their life. And uh, you look at much of the problems that we have, both in the suburbs and in the inner city, it comes down to a lack of a father figure in the home. Even in homes where dad is there in body, uh, he's gone working a lot, or he's become emasculated and doesn't actually lead his home. And we have a lot of daddy issues with uh, both people my age, maybe even a little bit older than me, and on down. So what is pure religion? It's the pity the people who are growing up without a father and to go out of our way to visit the fatherless and show them the love of God. What else is pure religion? Well, it is to visit the widows, visit the widows in their affliction, the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And I'm thankful so much for our nursing home ministry that Brother Sagru and Brother Okai and Brother Yankowski and Brother Eric and Brother Pierre and some of the other men here are involved in. I'm so thankful for that. There are a whole lot of widows there. We have widows here in our church, and it is our job to show them the love of Christ, make sure that they're not only supported emotionally, but in some senses, uh, Timothy lays out a case for why they should even be supported financially. But what else is pure religion? Pure religion is to remain unspotted 
unspotted by the world. World. Now, I love the exactness of the King James Bible. I love the exactness of the King James Bible because that word unspotted is such an illustrative, descriptive word. Uh, unspotted or unstained by the world. We live in a day and time where it is hard to raise a family, it is hard for yourself to stay unstained by the world. In fact, it is not popular to be pure anymore. It's not popular to be pure anymore. In fact, it ceased to be popular to be pure in America a long time ago. And the longer, uh, the farther away it gets from being popular, the more popular sin becomes and the more weird that sin gets. Now, uh, there is a there is a truth here that the more exposed we are to something and the longer we're exposed to it, the more we grow accustomed to accept it as the norm. If it violates scripture, it's wrong. Period. Period. It doesn't matter how long it's been accepted in the culture of the Western world. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what institutions accept it. It doesn't matter how you're labeled if you stand with God's word. It doesn't matter how they may try to label you as some kind of a a hate monger or jerk or intolerant. Let them throw whatever title they want to at us or at me or at you. But God says there is a standard for purity and I want my people to hold to that standard. How does that apply to the Christian home? How does that apply to the home? Unfortunately, too many parents are laissez-faire. Their quesarasara, what will be, will be when it comes to the purity of their own hearts and of their children. And today I want to bring to light a lot of the difficulties that we face as raising children and even trying to raise ourselves to be pure in America in 2019. So without further ado, I've got a lot to say and I'm going to try to be done by 12 o'clock today. I'm going to do the best I can to wrap this up in the next 28 minutes. So let's jump right in here. Notice number one, the challenges of parenting, the challenges of parenting. I've had uh, folks ask me, hey, Should we have babies in 2019, or is it better just to not have any kids? And I'd say the first commandment God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden still holds true today. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the Garden of Eden, and what was the first command he gave them? He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You know what that means? That means go have lots of babies. Well, you say, but pastor, in 2019, as wicked as this world is, uh, is it possible to have babies and still raise them pure? And I would say it absolutely is. Look at Noah. Noah and Mrs. Noah. They raised three boys to, go, to fear God and find grace in his sight. And they were the only five people until they married. Those three boys married. They were the only five people walking the planet who did it the right way. It is possible, but you must have a plan. Notice letter A, the ups, the ups. You know, there's a lot of joy in being a dad. There's a lot of joy in being a mom. There's a lot of joy in being parents. Uh, I, I wrote down some of the ups of being a parent. Hey, the day your first child is born, and really the day every one of your children 
were born. I remember they, um, they pulled Matthew out and they cleaned him off and they allowed me to come over and help cut what was left of the umbilical cord and they wrapped him up in a blanket and they seemed to put the same hat on every baby in every hospital in America. Have you noticed that? And they, they dropped him in my arms and there's profound emotion that cannot be put in words unless you've had a baby. You, 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 if you've had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just swept all over me. And I'm holding this life and there's this reality. I've got to raise this boy. Wow. That was a great day. It was a profound day and a scary day in some ways, but it was definitely, if I'm going to put it in one category, I'd put it under the ups. The first time your child rolls over, you remember that? And they're arching the back and they're starting to kind of turn and, and, and then you get all excited that they rolled over and then the next day you wish they could have gone back to not having rolled over because they're rolling off beds and rolling off couches and, and I have a brother who, um, uh, rolled, you remember those high laundry mat tables? Um, uh, with a concrete floor. Um, the very first time he rolled over, he was on that and he rolled off and onto the concrete floor. And, uh, we know what's wrong with him to this day. So, um, but the day they roll over maybe is not always, uh, uh, great beyond that. But boy, you're excited the moment that happens. How about the first step? The first step your child takes. Uh, we had a Spanish church at, uh, Granite Baptist when we worked there. And that was a 2.30 service in the middle of the afternoon. And our pianist, uh, would come in and she'd play the piano. She didn't understand any Spanish. She'd play the piano. Then she'd go out of the service. She'd watch our children for us while we had the service. Matthew, uh, was on the brink of walking, but not quite walking. I'm closing down the Spanish service, and Matthew comes walking through the back door of the auditorium and down the front row. And I stopped the whole service, and I said, Todo ustedes, mire, mi hijo está caminando por la primera vez. That, look everybody, my child's walking for the first time. And everyone turned around and started clapping. And so, uh, Matthew, uh, the day your child takes their first steps is, is exciting. How about the first day of school? We have a video of what, dropping Matthew off. The first day of school, April's first day of school. When they excel in front of others, whether that's at a recital, uh, maybe that's at a derby car race. Um, uh, that's more like the dad's excelling, amen. And um, you have, uh, you have um, uh, maybe a sports game. Your child hits a home run or, or hits the game-winning shot. Or uh, they just excel in front of others. These are the joys of parenting uh, when they graduate from high school and from college maybe some of you here are old enough to have seen your children get married and you stood there the day they got married and you wept tears of joy because they uh, that that signified for you some success in the process and then obviously grandbabies come along and all of those things but not all of parenting is happy let her be notice the downs the downs you have the ups and you have the downs. How about, how about the terrible twos? Any of you have children go through the terrible twos? Some of you have children right now that are in the nursery experiencing, the nursery workers are experiencing their terrible twos. And uh, biting children in the nursery. And you, you get that, you almost fear going to pick them up. It's like, what did they do this time? <laughs> Um, um, and you, you just feel like, and, and for some of you, it's not terrible twos. It's terrible twos and threes and fours and fives. And So is this ever going to stop? How about when your children bring a home a bad report card from school? 
That's not a good day, is it? I've got an F in math. Do they still do Fs? I don't know that they do that anymore. I think we're afraid of hurting kids' feelings, so we don't put Fs on anything. I don't know. I, I can't speak to that. I, maybe they do. But uh, I love how they skip E, and they go right to F. A, B, C, D. You didn't get an E for effort. You got an F for failure. You're failure. They just go right at it. Uh, and they put it in red, you know. A is in blue at the top. Great job. A plus. You are an excellent student. I love you. You're my favorite. F, your parents are failures. That's how it feels, right? Uh, those, that would be a down. I remember taking my, and we had to get them signed and bring them back in. I remember taking my report card home and having an F on it and, and having to hear it from dad. Um, the, your child comes home from school and they've been bullied or picked on or put down. That's not fun to go through that. The claws of mom comes out and she's ready to go scrape someone's eyeballs out of their head. Okay? Or let a teacher have it. Um, dad steps back and, and he'll say, it's good for him. Yeah, it's good for him. He, he, he'll learn some manhood. He, she'll, she'll learn how to stand up for herself. Uh, but uh, those aren't happy moments when you watch your child get put down or struggle. How about the first time your child ever broke a bone or got stitches? I know if I, that ever happens to our children, I will have a basket case of a wife on my hands. So she doesn't do well with blood, and a lot of people are that way. But, uh, but uh, stitches or breaking a bone and having to get that set in a cast or watching their head get sewed back together while they're screaming. Some of you, I'm painting an image in your mind of something that's already happened to you. Um, you're, they get a little bit older, and not that I would advise this, but I know that this happens. Maybe they go through a boyfriend or girlfriend breakup, and they mope around the house and act like the world is coming to an end and and uh, you try to counsel them through that and help them maybe your, your your children hit the teen years and they go through a rebellious stage and those are some downs that are hard the parenting is not easy parenting is challenging and while there are ups there are downs and with the downs there are the ups number two notice our culture of perversion our culture of perversion and let me define for you the word perversion. I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write this down. A change to what is natural or abnormal. Can we not say that that's going on very heavy in our society today? They're trying to take what is natural and make it unnatural. They're trying to take what is normal and make it abnormal. That's what we're going through. Um... As a mom and dad, if you know you're raising your children in such a perverted world, sometimes it can feel like you're in over your head. What do you do? How do I get my children to, to a place where they're pure, not only in body, but in mind? Um, premarital sex is the norm in America. It's a norm. Pornography is everywhere. And I'm not talking about just the hardcore stuff. Soft pornography is in every grocery store, every gas station. Uh, it's in every mall hallway you walk down. It's, it's, uh, it's it, not just in the posters, but the women dressed in the malls. It's everywhere you go. How do you raise a little boy to have a, eye, uh, have a set of eyes that are pure and a heart that is pure? How do you protect innocency and how do you raise a young man to keep himself unspotted by the world as James 1 told us? 
boy, it's tough. I'm going to give you some of the ways that our children are perverted and help you uh, in the uh, in point three. We'll talk about a plan maybe to help you get through some of these. But let's first look at a culture of perversion and see that this isn't just something we've dealt we've dealt with or we're dealing with today. These are sin problems that run all the way back into the Bible, even into the Old Testament. Letter A, notice foolish friends. Foolish friends. Turn your Bibles over to Second Samuel chapter number 13, if you would. Second Samuel chapter number 13. And let's look at verse number 1. I'll quickly lay uh, the groundwork here for you. Uh, um, you have David who has multiple wives as the king. And he has a son um, uh, named uh, Amnon by one wife. And he has a couple of other children named Absalom and Tamar by another wife. And so they are, these are half-siblings growing up in the palace together. They have reached the early stages of adulthood or are approaching the early stages of adulthood. And Amnon has a crush on his half-sister, Tamar. Look at verse number 1 of 2 Samuel 13. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. So Absalom, Tamar, brother, sister, son and daughter of the king. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Verse 2. And Amnon was so vexed, that means he was so lusty toward her, that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So he wants to be with his half-sister. But he knows that he can't, he just can't do that, that it isn't right. He understands there are some moral moral barriers that he just shouldn't cross in this situation. Look at verse 3. But, look at here, if you don't have these words underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline them. But Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. And this friend was not a good influence on him. But Amnon had a friend, verse 3, whose name was Jonadab. The son of Shemiah, David's brother. So this is this would be Amnon's cousin. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's uh, son, uh, uh, lean from day to day? Why are you walking around with your lip uh, dragging low? Why are you walking around so sad? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And we'll, we'll stop the reading there. I'll just continue to tell you. So Jonadab tells Amnon, hey, fake like you're sick. When your dad comes in to check on you, tell him that you want Tamar to come in and feed you a meal. And when Tamar comes in to feed you the meal, uh, have everybody else leave the room, lock the door, and just for all practical purposes, rape her rape her and so that's what he did that's what he did if Amnon had better friends he would have never ever done what he did I wonder how many children today are going to smoke a cigarette for the first time because their friends push them into doing it how many children today are going to take a drink of alcohol because they're bullied and pushed and picked on to do it by friends? How many, how many teenagers today are going to lose their virginity because they have friends who are pressuring them to, quote-unquote, score? Who your friends, who your children choose as friends matters. Now, I want to just speak to the moms and dads in here. There are two types of parents in the room. There are sergeants 
who are very good at saying, you ain't doing that over my cold, dead body. There are other parents in here who you just want to be your child's friend. You don't want to tip the apple cart. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And so you acquiesce and you give in. By the way, do the sergeant, mom, and dad in here, I'd say, you need to learn how to show those children love because you will push them to rebellion if you don't love them. And to the, uh, I want to be your friend, parent in here, your children have no respect for you because you don't have a backbone. You need to grow a spine and have some rules with those kids and be firm on the lines and say, we're not budging on these, especially when it comes to your purity. And when it comes to friends, what a lot of moms and dads will do is they'll look at the friends and they don't want to tip the apple cart with their children. So they'll say, well, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And listen, there are some friends you need to look your children in the eye and say, drop them like a bad habit. They're not good for you. And I know you can't see it, but I can. Stand guard around foolish friends. Letter B, notice the school systems. The school systems. Turn over to Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now, I want to make sure it's clear. I spoke to all but one of our public school teachers sitting in the room yesterday. And the one I didn't speak with, I have had conversations with that individual similar in nature prior. And so I have talked to them to make sure I have gotten their perspectives. They are already aware of much of what I'm going to say here. I wanted to suck that um, uh, out of the room, take that elephant out of the room. Look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. I've had people say, does the Bible say it's a sin to put your kids in the public school? And I would say not directly, not directly. But I do believe there's a principle that we ought to look at in Scripture. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But, but, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit. In season, his leave also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Back in verse 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who is someone that is ungodly? Well, I, I, I want to give you one idea here. How, how do you untie a shoe? For a shoe to be untied, it must have first been tied. For something to be ungodly, it at one time had to have been godly. Someone remember what happened in the 1960s to our public school system? Prayer and Bible were sucked out. Now, there are some public schools in some more spiritual regions in our country where there is still some version of the Bible that is propagated. That does happen in some public school systems. It happens remotely in areas in Connecticut. Mike Scarpetti told me that he was allowed to put a Bible on his desk at school as long as he didn't shove it down anybody's throat. Inner city, Bridgeport, seventh grade math teacher. There are children who still read their Bible in school. But is the Bible still part of the curriculum that's taught? Not at all. Not at all. From what I can account, from those I trust that sit in the room, if you put your child in the elementary school system here in Connecticut... They're probably, as far as the curriculum and the teachers go, they're probably going to be okay as far as keeping their Christianity intact. However, when they get to middle school and high school, that's when things go off the, off the, off the rails. I, um, I got on my computer this week in preparation for the sermon, and I put in my search engine 
sex education in the public schools. One of the first things that popped up was Planned Parenthood's website. Planned Parenthood is in the large majority of our public schools, and they are the ones educating our children on what sex is. You guys see any sort of conflict of interest here? They make their money on abortions. They make almost all their money on abortions. They set children up to get pregnant so that they can make their money. That's what they do. On that Planned Parenthood page, right on their page. This isn't some rumor mill. This is right on their page. They have some of their resources they use in the public schools. There's an embedded YouTube video on their page. I won't show it in the auditorium because it is erotic in nature. And the video is about how to get consent. There are boys making out with boys in the video. There are girls putting their hands, their clothes, that are putting their hands all over each other. This is, I understand that not every resource is used in every public school. This is one of Planned Parenthood's resources. The guy says in the video that's moderating the video, he says, asking for consent can be sexy. While these two girls are making out, they stop making out, and one girl looks at the other girl and says, Do you want to take my shirt off? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Condoms and birth control are given out for free. Teenagers can go get an abortion without their parents' consent. Is it any wonder why we lose so many of our Christian children in the junior high and high school years in the public school when the pressure on them is to score on the weekend? The pressure on them is to take birth control at 13, 14, 15 years old. By the way, parents, watch out with your pediatricians. They will try to get your children alone without you and try to ask your teenage daughter without you in the room if she wants to start on birth control at 15, 16 years old. I've had parents in this room tell me that it's happened to them. We live in a culture that's perverted. Letter C, the media machine. The media machine. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. When, uh, when, when uh, you and I were children, the media machine was NBC, CBS, ABC Nightly News. Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, some of you go back even further than that. Maybe it was Johnny Carson with a late night show. Boy, the media machine has dramatically changed. Look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant before your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. According to a Pew Research, according to Pew Research, teens spend nine hours a day online. Nine. Nine hours a day online. This includes online connected video games. This includes social media. This includes surfing the web. Nine hours. 
Facebook and YouTube lately have begun to censor and push out conservative voices and make those voices feel uncomfortable or banned from their websites. There has been some pushing off of left-wing radical extremists as well, but those places are not places where free speech is gained. Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat are places where children are both bullied and brainwashed, and since the time that social media has become available on a smartphone, teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed, and more so for the girls than the boys. I have begun to notice in my years of working with teenagers, I began the ministry before social media was really a big deal, and I noticed how that teenagers have digressed in their social skills. Oh, not all of them, but many 15-year-olds now act like a 12-year-old. You ever notice that some teenagers don't know how to look you in the eye and have a conversation with you? You know why? They're not being rude. They don't know how. But if you picked up your phone and texted them, boy, they could communicate with you no problem. Mom and Dad, it is not okay for you to bury your head in the sand and not know what's going on on your child's cell phone. Now, my own personal standard, and I'm not going to shove this on the church, but my own personal standard, my wife and I's standard is that our children will not have a smartphone until they are 17 or 18 years old. If they need to access something on a smartphone, they can use mine or hers. If they need to call us on a trip, they can borrow one of your kids' phones and call us. Amen? Because I'm sure they'll all have one. Do you know what's going on on that screen? You all understand how easy it is to access pornography on the Internet, right? I mean, look, you could be doing nothing, nothing at all and some pop-up banner comes up. You're a 13, 14-year-old boy and you're going through puberty and your hormones are raging and there's a pop-up to, to find out what some sexy girl's doing. Uh, do you know how impossible it is for a teenage boy to avoid hitting that button? Now, I don't know that all the women in here totally get it, but every man in the room sure does. We all get it. Are you protecting your kids? It's on you, mom and dad. You're going to stand in front of God one day and give it an account for how pure they were and how well of a job you did to protect them. And no, you can't be there at every moment of every day. But you sure can do your best to put safeguards around them to protect them. You say, well, they don't like it if I take their cell phone away. They don't like it if I put limitations on their cell phone or I'm watching what they're doing. And I would say to you and that you better make sure you're not building your parenting around what they like, but what they need. Number two, our culture of perversion. Number three, let's talk about the cure here. God's call for purity. God's call for purity. Letter A, really quick. Uh, or rather, first, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18. I need to move quick here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse number 18, I want to take the line from the LGBTQ plus VZWR, all the other, whatever they add to it. I want to take the line uh, from there and I want to move it back to where the Bible puts it. That conversation over there is so far beyond the Bible, it ought not even be in our mind as a possibility of right or wrong. Look where the Bible puts the line. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee, not, not flirt with, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Where's the line? Where's the line? The Bible makes it really clear that premarital sex is a sin. Not only is it it's sin, it's not just any sin. It is a sin against your own body. Oh, my. A sin against your own body. It's a stain that goes on your soul. It is baggage you are attaching to your emotional state. You'll carry with you for many, many years, if not the rest of your life. God is calling for purity in America. And it has to begin with the Christians. It has to begin with us. Letter A, letter A, be aware, be aware. Term, uh, well, I'll just quote First Peter 5, 8 for you. We were there a moment ago. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Be sober. You know what that means? Have your head screwed on straight. Think forward. Be vigilant. That means climb up in the watchtower and look out ahead. Some, uh, a couple of years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, The Keep Commandment. We'll look at all the different ways the word keep is translated in the Bible. And one of those is uh, watchtower. You're keeping, you're watching guard. You're, you're putting a fence around the purity of your home. And you are aware of any incoming possibility. Your eyes are locked on it. And you're locked in solid. Now, uh, I would teach a sermon, to preach a sermon like this or teach a lesson in a class like this seven, eight, nine years ago, and parents were completely oblivious of the power of smartphones. But I believe we've been around them enough now to know what they can do. Moms and dads, you've got to be on your game. You've got to be aware of everything that's going on. Let her be quickly. Be active. Be active. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll finish here this morning. I may go a minute or, or two past my self-imposed time to finish this one. We have something else at the end of the service here we're going to get to. Uh, so, But Hebrews chapter number 12. And uh, here the Bible is talking about uh, how God punishes us. As his children, and in the passage, he likens it to a mom or dad or parents punishing their children. Look here at verse number 9. Furthermore, Hebrews 12, 9, furthermore, we have had fathers or parents of our flesh which cor- corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his, there's that idea, we started the message with that video today, his holiness, his purity, that moral purity. Look at verse 11. Now, no chastening, correction, punishment for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody likes being corrected, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Look down at verse 14. Follow peace with all men in holiness without, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace follow holiness. Now, back up at verse number 11, it talks about that it's grievous for a time, but in the end yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Here's the uh, here's the here's what I'll tell you, mom and dad. You can put in the hard work today of protecting your child's purity and upsetting them at times in doing so. Having them not understand your decision making at times, you can put in the hard work today and you can deal with it today. And have them frustrated with you today and happy tomorrow. Or you can let them do what they want to today. And you can be have, let them and you be miserable for a lifetime. Now I know there's some moms and dads in this room today that are hearing this sermon. 
and your children are grown and you listen to a sermon like this and you think, I wish we could have done things different. The purpose of the sermon today is not to throw any stones at you. God's grace is there. I would encourage you to go to Luke 16 and read and study the prodigal son and follow those steps. But the moms and dads in here that have children at home, you need to be active in protecting their purity. Jot these things down. I want to give you some practical pointers on how to be active in helping your family be pure. The first one I want to give you is this model purity. Model purity. If you want your children to be pure, doesn't, don't you think that starts with you? If you don't want your children spending nine hours a day on a phone, maybe you shouldn't spend nine hours a day on a phone. Um, a little personal confession here. I battle cell phone addiction from time to time. I bet a bunch of you in here do too. They take over our lives. Your kids are watching you. My kids are watching me. Model purity. What are you looking at on that screen, sir? What are you reading on that screen, ma'am? Is it pure? Does it please the Lord? Here's another one. Pray for them. Oh, boy. You know, you're not going to do everything right, no matter how hard you try. There's no perfect mom and dad in the room. We've got to drop to our knees every day, and we've got to beg God to protect our children. We've got to plead with God to make up the difference. I'm going to get really, really, really practical right here. Ready? You need to talk to your children about the facts of life. Do you know why the public schools took to doing that? There are several reasons, but do you know one of them is because moms and dads just don't do it. Now, it's not the most comfortable thing to talk about with someone other than your spouse. But dad, your boy needs to hear that from you. Not from some teacher at school who wants to teach him to be loose so he can impregnate some girl and she goes and gets an abortion. Your your girls, you need your moms, you need to teach that to your girls. And, And you need to not wait until they're 15 or 16 years old. You need to make sure you get to them before the world gets to them. Talk to them about this. Boy, the way it ought to work in the public schools is if a child goes to a teacher and says, Hey, uh, I'm going through some changes or uh, I, I heard this word. What does it mean? The teacher ought to look at the child and say, Go home and ask your mom and dad. How many think that probably ought to be the model? Okay? But that's not how it goes. So you get to them before the school does. Talk to them about the facts of life and have a way of going about it. Um, for many of the older generation, uh, the conversation uh, you had with your kids that are now adults was awkward and weird. And I can see how that happens now that I have a child who is uh, 10 and heading toward that conversation. Can I encourage you, moms and dads, do not make it weird. Pray that. Pray about that thing. Get some counsel from a spiritual leader on how to have that conversation. And you make sure when that conversation's over, that child understands that if they have questions, they, they can come and talk to you. Here's another one here. Involve them in a youth group that preaches abstinence to marriage. Involve them in a youth group that preaches abstinence to marriage. 
Pastor Mike and Miss Rachel, overseer our youth group, they do a good job. They're working with their teenagers. And then that's a topic between them and Mike Scarpetti that gets talked about regularly. Wait till the wedding altar. Wait till the wedding altar. Boy, that needs to be pounded in their heads. And i got to say, I grew up in a youth group that way, and I'm so thankful that I did because that kept me from a world of hurt. My wife didn't grow up in a Christian home the way I did, but had a morally good mother who taught her and told her that sometimes in the crassest way possible, but kept purity in the forefront of her heart and mind. And my wife and I walked to the wedding altar pure toward each other. Now, some of you in here uh, uh, didn't do it the right way, or maybe your children haven't done it the right way. You say, well, pastor, what do we do now? Purity starts today. Starts today. You may not have been pure yesterday, but boy, you can give your heart to being pure today and you can live day by day by day being pure. Hey, let's make Purity popular again. And I'll give you one last one here. Put limitations on technology. Put limitations on technology. Listen, we use technology in this church. We use technology on a level that would make some independent Baptists uncomfortable uh, because they they think technology is a sin. I, I don't know why, but technology isn't a sin. Okay? Technology is good if it's used in the right way. It should complement, uh, but it shouldn't take over things. And you can allow your children to have technology, but boy, it sure shouldn't dominate their mind and their heart and their eyeballs and their life. You need to put limitations on it. You need to make sure that you are aware of what's going on. Both Android and Apple have recently uh, launched software that allow you to see everything that's done on your child's phone. You can shut those things down at a certain time where they just don't work. The applications are locked out of. You can monitor everywhere they go on the web and limit where they go on the web. And moms and dads, if you don't, if your children have tablets or cell phones or have a computer and you haven't put child protections on there, uh, then, uh, then you're being foolish. One last thing I'd say is be careful with Xboxes and Playstations because they have chat rooms in the video games and children get in there and predators prey on children in those rooms. Oh, the stories that I've heard. Children being kidnapped, not because they were taken from a park, but because they started a conversation with someone in an innocent Xbox child game uh, a chat room. And they began to develop a relationship and they uh, set up a rendezvous point with the child. And then what happened is that child's gone. You be careful, moms and dads. You walk guard around your children. You live a life that's pure. And let's raise our children to be pure. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I thank you for a chance to speak candidly, scripturally, open, honestly, and plainly on a topic that is uh, a major deal. I pray, Lord, today there'd be some moms and dads, maybe some single parents that would um, get down on their knees. And beg and plead for wisdom to know how to raise children that are pure. Lord, there are folks in this room who are not living pure. We're not modeling purity the way we ought to, some folks here. Lord, all of us have some sin and purity in our heart and life. Maybe it isn't sexual in nature, but there's some sort of impurity in our heart and life. Would you help us, Lord, to identify that and confess it? And model a Christ-like spirit in every way. Move in our midst, Lord, in Jesus' name.